Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Thank you to our sponsors at Storm My Teamer for making our podcast possible. Storm My Teamer provides personalized treatment options that help you stay in remission longer. Live tumor preservation, genetic sequencing, sensitivity testing, and immunotherapies are just some of the options available. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you this week on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carfing, and if you're joining us for the first time, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each week we come out with a new episode. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And to all of you who tune in every week, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. In this episode, I am so excited because we have two special guests with us today in the room. This is a live recording with head coach Laura Dubois and former COO transitioning to vision board extraordinaire and life coach and business coach, Andrea Magni. We are all breast cancer survivors, all with different phases, different choices in terms of the surgeries that we decided to opt and have, the different types of treatment we received. And I just wanted to get all of us in a room so we can talk about, obviously, breast cancer, but also I want to learn more about what it means to be a coach, how you guys came to become coaches. Was this before or after your breast cancer diagnosis? And the importance of coaching and how that can help all of us. In this episode, not only do we dive deep into coaching, but we also talk about transitions. For example, what it's like to go back to work after a breast cancer diagnosis. You don't want to be constantly looking for sympathy. There is an element of you do want to be included in some of those projects, and you do want to be asked for your input, so you don't want to be excluded. And how do you bridge between suffering from people who don't understand what I'm going through, and I'm sitting here and I'm or uncomfortable from the worker standpoint how do you build the boundaries when I went back to work it was I went back to work as a physical therapist so I was it was very physical job I was taking care of other people but inside I didn't feel totally healed yet and it was really difficult because they're coming to me with their issues and I have to be a stand for them and at the same time I was crumbling and I had to hold it together it was very very difficult About halfway through the podcast, you will have a special meditation provided by head coach Laura. And stay tuned to the very end because we're going to talk about the various surgeries we had from a lumpectomy to double mastectomy and reconstruction with implants and a mastectomy and reconstruction with um, the deep flap option. Welcome to the conversation. So welcome, ladies. Hi. How are you? Welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations. This is our podcast where... We literally, once a week, have amazing conversations about absolutely everything and anything related to breast cancer. And we bring on guests to talk about anything from their own survivor stories to, you know, best 10 tips I wish I knew I knew before I went through chemotherapy or surgery. We bring in uh, women who want to talk about health and nutrition and have an expertise in that particular background. We've actually had a couple of radiologists, psychologists, and oncologists on the show as well to provide that medical background. We get a lot of questions too, of like, can you debunk these myths? Or what really happens when we get a call back? What happens to our 
tissue mm -hmm. after you do a biopsy, like where does it go, what happens to it, wow. you know, so there's a lot of things that, you know, we've experienced as people living through a breast cancer diagnosis, but I still feel like I'm learning something new every single day, and that's why I love having these conversations, because we all bring together just a different perspective. So today I'm so excited for all of my listeners to be tuning in today. We have a great show. This is actually one of the first times that we are bringing multiple people on the show, so mm -hmm. if you can vision like the coffee table chat where we have Laura Dubois, who is here with us today. And then we also have Andrea, is it Magni? Magni, yeah. Magni. Okay, I never know with like the Italian well, pronunciation. Well, it is Italian, but then you spend half your day trying to explain it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I'm always like lasagna. It's got that like... Yeah, Magni. Yeah, Magni. Yeah. Magni. Magni. Absolutely. So welcome to Laura and Andrea. And I thought today we would talk a little bit about the synergies. There's, there's a reason behind this madness of bringing you guys both here together because... I had the pleasure of meeting both of you separately and having just really great deep conversations about not only your journey and experience with breast cancer, but also how this has led to a career and business of coaching. Mm -hmm. And I would love to just dive into you know, what that path looked like. Yes, we want to talk about breast cancer, but I am dying to know more about like the coaching side. I feel like this is a term we hear all the time, especially mm -hmm. like this day and age, everyone is either aspiring to be a coach or they know someone who's in a coaching business. And, you know, there's so many benefits of being coached also and how you can professionally grow, whether you're kind of going through a block in, a block of some sort in your life or you need to get over something like a breast cancer diagnosis sure. experience, right? right? So there's a lot of benefits here too. So I wanted to bring both of you on today so we can hear kind of that perspective and not expecting all of us to agree, but really just share your philosophies also around the coaching business. So those are the two topics that I'm planning on speaking about today. Um, but of course, it's very Q&A and we flow based on how the conversation goes. So that's a little bit about my introduction. So before we jump like straight into everything, Laura, how about you give an introduction about yourself, where you're from, and just some background? Yeah, thank you, thank you. So my name is Laura Dubois, and I have been a physical therapist for over 20 years since before becoming a coach. And so I was, I've been used to taking care of people. That is part of my DNA. And I knew that I needed to do something bigger and more impactful um, after my breast cancer experience. And that is how I ended up coming to be a coach because I want to be able to help others along the way and on the other side. I, I'm more focused on moving the way forward. I'm not um, being in the middle of it, you definitely need help, but I'm, I, my forte is better working with uh, women who are, they've finished their treatment, and now, now what? They're sitting in exactly. this, this, it was like, the you ever hear the game of cards of 52 pick up? You oh, take the cards, yep. you throw them in the air, and then they land, mm -hmm. and now you're like, oh, now what? That's what I can help. With. Yes. Help pick those cards up and figure out how they're going to be organized next. Awesome. I love that. And I think there's some synergies there, too, as you and I were talking about the work that we're doing at Surviving Breast Cancer, where there's so many great nonprofits out there to help during active treatment, financial resources, rides to and from radiation sessions, housekeeping, camps and daycare for children, et cetera. But there's not a lot afterwards, right, where you're done with your active treatment and you're supposed to assimilate back into your, those traditional roles, um, back at your job, et cetera. But something has changed, and that becomes quite daunting. And... No one told me that when I got diagnosed. Oh. You know, I think we were so focused on the treatment plan 
but not actually going into the depths of what this actually means longer term. Not that I would have been ready to hear that or handle that at the time, so I'm sure there's a reason they don't bring it up. But having some sort of coach or partner or um, social worker kind of along your side going through that path, I think would have been really beneficial also. What we don't know what we don't know until we're going through it. Absolutely. And now this leads us to having a podcast and blogging about it in your businesses because sure. we realize that there are these gaps that we're filling. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Andrew, give us a little background about you. So I come from Johannesburg in South Africa and I moved to Boston two years ago about nine months after my treatment. I had treatment in South Africa and a double mastectomy. And I come from the business side of the world. So I was the COO of a company. And it's not that that breast cancer changed that trajectory, that was changed by the decision to move here. So I'd already decided I didn't want to do corporate stuff anymore because, you know, you, you want to change. And after breast cancer, I, it took a long time for me to understand where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Was it psychology? Was it life coaching? And life coaching for me to seem to have so much more potential of a forward-moving objective for people. You know, what is it that you want rather than what went wrong and how can we fix it? So I come from, I'm a life coach, but I'm also a business coach. And I think what you were saying, you were just saying, so often we have our treatment and some of us, are never, we don't feel sick right. before breast cancer is found, right? So day one, you're fine. Then you're told you have cancer, your world falls apart, you get sick, you're treated with things that make you sicker. And once you've had your treatment, your body is no longer what it was before, but everyone is expecting you to go back to normal. Right. And even yourself, you're so quick to say, when will I be able to do this? When will I be able to do that again? And there's a need for us to have a gentleness and an approach to how do we get from the one place to the next? And I, and I agree with you. I think in the middle of all of that, there is a lot of support that helps you. But once those cards fall, Oh my word, then you start to realize what the new normal is or isn't or will be and how to tackle it. And my, my sort of speciality would be around how to do that with work in mind mm-hmm. because very seldom breast cancer survivors can't work afterwards. You have to go back to work in right. most cases. And how do you do that? How do you do that with the brokenness that you feel plus you want to make money for your family because you still want to be um, sure. contributing. But yeah, so that's pretty much I'm, I'm blending the life coaching, my breast cancer experience, but also my business experience. Sure. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of transitions we have to navigate that mm-hmm. it can feel very lonely and very daunting. Oh. I remember going back to work the first time and all of my colleagues were phenomenal. Like I had flowers at my desk and everyone was so excited to see me. I had a little cute like pixie cut going on at the time because my hair was growing back and it was wonderful for about five minutes and then all the work was like okay you're back thank you this is like everything you missed and dive right back sure. into it and you've had your time off so right. I'm sure you're fine now right? <laughs> right and that I think tended to be so overwhelming because you you're still fatigued you're still managing what we refer to as like that PTSD of a life-threatening disease there's the aftermath in my case where I'm still on hormonal therapies yeah. for the next 10 years but it doesn't look like I'm sick, right? Like your hair's back, you're going to work, you're going through the day to day. And all of a sudden you're just like putting on like the strong grown up like. Yeah. And that incongruency is 
so jarring mm. within yourself because on the outside you look put together mm -hmm. and functioning and yes but on the inside it's just a big swirling mess and you're trying to keep it together on the outside but on the inside you're just oh my goodness so coaching is so helpful because of, of that you know you, you're held when you're in treatment you are held so lovingly by your care team and then it comes to an end mm. where okay you're done your treatment right. and then they let go of the hand and then and you can feel very alone like you said mm -hmm. so it's important to be able to connect whether it's with a coach or with a group of women such as say at survivingbreastcancer.org to be able to share what's going on after that because there's so much more healing going on after the treatment and that's what I discovered and that was the biggest shock of the whole thing yes what we keep explaining to folks, um, nurse navigators or uh, oncological teams that visit us at our exhibit booths, they ask what we do. And typically our response to them is, when they, you are the primary caregivers and when they leave you after, um, when they're going into post-active treatment stage, PTSD sets in walking out the door and they all smile and they all recognize that that's the case that you're spot on. Sure. And it is incredible how much is done to make you look the same or better, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think that's why a lot of the stuff at work falls away quickly because you do look like Laura. You know, exactly. You look like Laura, Laura, and you didn't look like you didn't look like something fell apart. So you're expected right. to keep up and be who you were. Never mind that your brain's not working because now the hormone treatment hit you overnight and you've got menopause that just started today, right. not over time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot we go through. And for some reason, it's conversations we hear one-on-one -on -one all the time, mm -hmm. but it's not bubbled up yet to the surface where we're just all in a room talking about it. Like, sure. So I think that's really important for our listeners to hear. And for us, I find it to be so therapeutic to be like, oh my gosh, I'm not the crazy one. We're all like this. Sure. <laughs> so. And within that should also be, a, a, I think what you're saying is being held, especially like in a, in a work environment. You don't want to be constantly looking for sympathy. Right. There is an element of you do want to be included in some of those projects and you do want to be asked for your input. So you don't want to be excluded. And how do you bridge between suffering from these people don't understand what I'm going through and I'm sitting here and I'm in pain or I'm uncomfortable? Right and actually being productive. Exactly. So you have to balance, you have to find something. So there must be tools that you can work with, and I think that's what coaches are good for, is to find tools for that resilience or to build it up and to build boundaries for yourself. Sure. sure. Yeah, I have felt that actually, it's interesting. Felt that both ways, so from what you said, from the, from the worker standpoint, how do you build the boundaries? When I went back to work, it was, I went back to work as a physical therapist. Oh. So I was, it was a very physical job and I was taking care of other people, but inside I didn't feel totally healed yet. Mm. And it was really difficult because yeah. they're coming to me with their issues and I have to be a stand for them. And at the same time, I was crumbling and I had to hold it together. It was very, very difficult. Yeah. How long and did you do that for? I'm actually still doing it, but I pulled back. So okay. instead of full time, I'm part time. Okay. I'm still part time, but eventually it's going to be no time as I build my coaching practice sure, up. So sure. That takes time. It takes and time. And hopefully something like this helps people too, to understand that you are available to them. Okay, very important. 
How long have you been a cook? About six minutes. Six minutes. That's what it feels like. And all my life. (laughs) So it's like a weird yin and yang, right? This is not, you go through the course and you're given labels for things that you go, oh crap, I've done that all my life. You've probably exactly. done it all your life well, too. Well, I was coaching all my career as a PT. It's sure. just a slight little shift. It's the best analogy too, is coaching with a physical coach, is you hire a coach, like a, a, a personal coach, if you're going to gym, and you mm. want to transform something, or you want to move something, or you want to shift your body in a certain way. So you hire someone who has the expertise and who can push you to achieve your goals. Same with life, mm-hmm. and finding, you know, Oh my God! I survived breast cancer. Now what? Right. <laughs> you know, yes. I didn't die. I'm uncomfortable, but here I am. Mm-hmm. And how do I make it worthwhile? Right. Again, so and being a survivor, so yeah. that's another like little incongruency. You feel also very strong. Like, don't get in my way. I survived cancer. Yeah. I can do anything now. A little bit formidable. No? Formidable. Mm-hmm. So you have that going on, and then also the oh my goodness. How do I manage this new life now? How do yes. I decide to put this foot forward and go next? So tell me more about this transition from like your diagnosis going back to PT. And when did you decide, Laura, that you wanted to go into coaching? When I went back to work full-time, actually it was, yeah, it was full-time. I went back initially full-time. And I had been back for about six weeks, and I was struggling. So struggling with the fatigue, mm-hmm. with I couldn't, my brain wasn't, um, the synapses just weren't sure. the same yes. anymore. And I even think sometimes it's recovery from the anesthetic too. Yeah, and I had had major, major surgery, mm-hmm. and it just took a long time, and I was very fatigued. And prior, this is kind of a long story, prior wow. to um, being diagnosed with breast cancer, I was actually working with a career coach because I was trying to decide what was my next career move? Oh. So I was already kind of looking at other things. I knew I wanted to still be in a people health capacity. And then mm-hmm. breast cancer mm-hmm. came. And it kind of derailed and put everything off to the side. Didn't think anything about it. And then when I went back to work and was feeling the fatigue, and I was thinking, how can I take the best care of these people when I'm not even my best myself? Sure. So I knew I needed to do something for myself. So I enrolled in a coaching program. Okay. And I got coached, and it profoundly changed my world. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, well, I need to be a coach. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I can I can make that switch, and so that's how it came about. Amazing. Excellent. So kind of realizing that you needed a change and you needed a coach to help you kind of get to that next phase, and then because of such a positive experience, you're now giving back and helping others. Yeah. One of the things I love to do is I volunteer at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute here in Boston mm-hmm. um, in their mentor program. So right now I have three women who I privately mentor. Okay. I don't even think they know I'm a coach. I don't talk about that. It, it's not about that. Right. Um, and then once a month we get together the whole group for you know speakers and dinner. Yeah. I think I've told you about that before. But that that really speaks to me. Like I, that's the the real the give back. Sure. Mm-hmm. And if anyone wants to speak with me as a coach, then that's there too. But I don't I don't talk about no, that. No, sure. Sure. Yeah. sure. And that's healing in its own way for you too. It is being able to help others. It is. I was. I felt I had such great care that yeah. I do want to give back. You know, it, it it was a profound time. You know, if I let myself, I'm not going to let myself on this podcast. But if you know, if you let yourself, you can cry still. Sure. You know, 
one of the things I learned. You're allowed to cry here. Got yeah. tissue. One of the things I learned though was how loved I am. Yeah. Um, oh. I probably knew it, but I didn't really mm. totally know it until you're in a situation like that, and then people step up, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you experience where people step up, and you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea you were paying any attention to me. Right. Mm. So yeah, people come out of the woodwork. So very nice. Beautiful. What about you, Andrew? How did you? How did I decide on coaching? Yes. So as a COO, it was my responsibility to manage the people in my organization. And so coaching was something that's part of your role, to develop people and to take them from one space to another space, always managing their expectations around what their career development is and how it matches the organization until you get to a place where either one of those can run out and then the, other, then the person needs to grow into the next space, which I was always very good at. I mean, I had my... My call center manager was fantastic. She used to grow people until they didn't want to work for her anymore, couldn't work for her anymore because they were just too good and ready for the next role somewhere. Sure. Yep. And so we, um, so I've always used coaching in getting the best out of people mm-hmm. and being so rewarded by seeing them grow. And um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer several years ago, but she, and she had a, uh, her treatment and, um, she was re-diagnosed four years ago and died three, just just over, just under four years ago, and that was very traumatic. Made me go and have my ultra, my mammograms and things. It was clear. I went, oh, that doesn't feel right. You know when you have yeah. that voice oh, in your head. So I got sent for a second opinion, and then they found my tumors. Oh wow! And so we had such a tumultuous time. My father lost my mother, his mother, and I had breast cancer diagnosis within four months of each other and I just went straight back to work I had my double mastectomy reconstruction went on to moxifen straight back to work because you know this yeah. is what we do right, right. so I had hard to Williams, sit still <laughs> but speaking to Williams thing is I had PTSD I didn't know I did but it hit me after we moved here because we moved and suddenly I wasn't in a role where I was COO mm. my last day was on the end of July and then we landed 2nd of August and then I go oh what's that feeling why do I feel so bad and why am I sore and the things you do the the medical things that come afterwards like collapsed lungs or you know things that you just don't you don't know and people think well we've treated you so you're fine you shouldn't be needing more stuff and while I had all this time to deal with you know moving and getting kids settled in a school, I thought of, my first thought was a psych, carrying on my psychology degree, getting my, my um, um, PhD in, in, in psychology. And then I thought, I didn't really want to do that because mm-hmm. the way in which it worked didn't seem as positive and powerful for me. I understand its role, but it wasn't something I felt comfortable with. And then I was invited to a coaching, like free trial evening thing by one of the groups that does coaching training. And I sat there, and I, it felt like I was in a room full of my people. Mm-hmm. It was... Really? I totally resonate with that. Because yeah. when I first started it, yeah, I felt like, oh, my gosh, the people, these are the people that get me. Yeah. They're like me. And while we were training, I think I had some of the best coaching by people that just sat... You know, we were doing test coaching and, and understanding principles and working through different um, ways of approaching clients. And... We had the best coaching because 
everybody was so aware of you, they knew who you were, and they were invested in how you were going to get to the next phase, but as well as their, their learning. So it was very, very rewarding, and um, it's been great since then, because now I have clients that I get to do that with. And wow. it is, yeah, it's, it's a rewarding role. So yeah, that was my transition. It wasn't really like a road to Damascus moment. It was just like, a, oh, you've been doing this all along anyway. Sure. Yeah. Now I just got to find a way to make money out of it, <laughs> as I think you are, because it's hard to to get it monetized for people. Yes. It's hard for people to understand what it is that you do in the role that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a physical therapist, mm-hmm. there's a set of rates, and everybody understands what you're going to do. You're moving mm-hmm. from A to B. Whereas a coach is sort of, mm, okay, would you make money out of that? You know, what are you going to do? Or right. you know, it's not like a physical product that we can. It's not a product. It's not a service. You know, and sometimes the work that you do with somebody in a in a session doesn't hit them till two weeks later. Mm-hmm. And they'll be thinking, oh, that's what we were doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a, you know, you went into the hairdresser, you came out and your hair was beautiful and short. And, you know. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like this evolution of like that, what that process is like, what that journey yes. is like. And it, it is an investment, but it's an investment in wellness, which yeah. is a complete uh, paradigm shift and thought shift from investing in illness, which is what... Sure in this society we tend to do. We go to the doctor when we're sick. Mm-hmm. What about when you're well? What about doing the things to stay mm-hmm. well so that you don't have to go to the doctor because you don't get sick or you yeah. get sick less? And taking care of the whole picture of you because you aren't just your illness. Whether you're cured or you're, or you're still managing that process, there is this whole world that you exist in. Yes. I mean, I've had my 10-year-old daughter when I had had my surgery, it was ten, my 10-year-old daughter, because my mom had had it and I had it, she came to me and she said, Mommy, am I going to have to have this surgery one day? Yeah. And I said to her, you know, I don't know. But what I do know is I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that if you do, I'm here. Yes. And so this world isn't just this person who went through the illness. It's everything around it. It's your financial planning, because I'm sure that becomes a yes. big priority. Yes. It's your environment. Suddenly, I think most people are going to have that moment where they look around and they go, that's not me anymore. Right. That rug yeah. is not right. me anymore. <laughs> yeah, what are you feeding yourself? What senses? It's not yeah. just what you're Everything. putting into your body food-wise, nutrition. Sure. It's what are you looking at? What are you experiencing? Yeah. Who are you hanging out with? Yeah. You know, you want to be yeah. with people who get you and who will uplift you. And you want to be having experiences that enrich you. Mm-hmm. And that was another reason why I ended up Needing, I knew I needed to transition away from what I was doing. I was the manager, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't feeding my soul anymore. Right. It was, mm-hmm. you know, spreadsheets and oh, and yeah. you know HR stuff and 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 also carrying a caseload. And sure. I kind of ran myself into the ground with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah. I those years leading up to getting cancer, I wasn't taking the best care of myself. Honestly, sure. I was mm-hmm. missing the forest for the trees because yeah. I was so focused on that. Yes. I had a friend of mine who told me this long before I had my cancer, and I completely understand it now. He said, we all have two lives, and the second starts the moment you realize you only have the one. Oh, I like that. And so this is what happens. You know, and I can, like a president in his second term can be way more radical, right? So we're in our second term. And we can, I like we can yeah. imagine a life that is full, that is whole, that is powerful, that is everything you want right and that's mm-hmm. i mean that's what coaching does it's saying what do you want and let's get you there yes right 
Mm. First, you want to test, is that really what you want? Because sometimes people, you know, can be unsure, but sure. really helping them get there. Cool. That Perfect. sounds like the title for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> what do you want? No. no. Um, Starting your oh. life. Second life. Yes, second life. Yes, and then finding out what is your, what's making you tick, what's your motivation? Mm. Because sometimes that can take a couple of sessions to find out exactly what's motivating someone. They may say, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds, but really, what is it? Sure. Why do you want to lose 10 pounds? What's sure. that going to do is for it around you? health or is it around you want to look good in the dress? Or is it, yeah. usually there's a deeper meaning, yeah. deeper reason why someone, it's not about that. It's yeah. like a symptom of it. It's a symptom, it. exactly. But that's, that's how it's expressed. So that's what we hear as coaches. We hear sure. that surface stuff. And it's our job is to gently and with trust and time to uncover the stuff that's covering it up okay. so that we get to the root cause of what, what do you really want? Why do you want it? What's going to motivate you to keep on doing what you need to do to get it, mm -hmm. you know, to keep you on track? Because it's so easy to start to try and do something and then you, you're really great guns at it for four weeks or, or whatever, and then, ugh, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Well, was your reason yeah. compelling enough? Right. Yeah. So do you extrapolate this through like a series of questions and like just digging deeper and when you have these coaching sessions with people or how do you, like what's the magic that happens? I'm very curious. You guys like. <laughs> that's the magic. That's, that's the magic. Oh. Curiosity. Okay. That's the magic is tell me, tell me about you. I want to hear, I want to hear what, what goes on. I mean, Albert Einstein yeah. said, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm not extraordinary, I'm just passionately curious. Mm. And that's what created all the stuff that he did. Yes. And that's what a coach does. A coach sits down and just wants to unpack and find stuff and help you. Yeah. And then so, being objective, mm. we can start to see patterns and relationships and then reflect that back yeah. in a way that they can understand it and be dissociated and look at themselves sure. more objectively too. Because okay. when you're in the, the thick of it, you can't see it. It's like, you know, oh, of course. put your finger on your nose, you can't see yeah. your fingertips. And that'll usually happen hair. five minutes before the end of the session. <laughs> It'll be like some pivotal, oh, oh, yes. <laughs> you go, oh. Right. Yeah. Well, I know we're always talking to you about like trying to cultivate that like self awareness and just being aware of like your presence, your relationships, your um, the experiences that you're giving when you're interacting with other people around you. And that can get buried when we're just living in like the day-to-day -day, rushing from the grocery store to the job to the gym back home trying to cook dinner or back to sleep and then you repeat if you do this again and again and again that it's very easy to just kind of put those like blinders on sure. and then finally when you take a moment to like breathe and look up you're like wow it's fall the colors are changing or sure. different things like that to kind of bring you back to some sort of grounding exactly stay um, in the present moment exactly you also want to be moving forward but you have to because um, the world can swirl around you and you have to learn how to pull back, step back, take it. Like I teach them, I literally teach people how to breathe. That's okay. one of the things. That's beautiful. Just so beautiful. take a deep breath. And once they learn how to do that, you can access that anytime, anywhere, one minute, two minutes. Yeah. You, you could be in the middle of a chaotic situation. Can we like do that for our listeners right now? Would you like to do a breathing exercise? I would love I mean, to do a breathing exercise. Okay. Would you like me to do it? Or do you want to go ahead? No, okay. no, no, no. All right. So I'm going to ask you to, first of all, close your eyes. And I'm going to close my eyes too. And I would like you to put one hand on your heart. 
the other hand on your belly, and I know you've got a microphone, Laura, so do your best. And take a big deep breath in. And feel the chest rise. When you exhale, I want you to imagine any, anything that's not serving you is just going to go right out with that exhale. Another big deep breath in. Now imagine on this breath that you're, in, you're pulling in a big golden ball of light and warmth. go to every cell in your body and especially anything that is bothering you, anything that is tight, tense, painful. Take another big deep breath in and let that flow there. Our bodies are very intuitive so present to the moment or imagine you're in trouble. Just you and your thoughts and maybe even no thoughts. That's sometimes the key too. You don't have to think. And if you feel a thought bubbling up, just acknowledge it. Oh, okay, there you are, thought. I'm gonna you know clear my mind again. Big deep breath in. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Like the immediate, like five or six breaths and just, just calming calms you right down completely. You know, Herbert Vinson, a doctor, famous doctor who wrote the relaxation response. He was from Boston. Okay. Um, the Tibet Bejeo group, I think. And so when you can tune into that and allow yourself to relax, your blood pressure will go down. Endorphin levels can go up. I mean, all, all that good sciencey yeah. stuff. It just feels so good. So one of the things I do in my practice is I will sometimes I will take one whole session and lead someone through a visualization and tape record it, yes. and then they get to keep it, and then they can listen to it whenever they need to. Oh, that's time. wonderful. Yeah, I think there's so much too where even just being able to fill up your lungs to capacity. Like we don't even know how to breathe right. Where we take a lot of these like short breaths and we just are busy. I know breathing happens kind of subconsciously to us, but to like intentionally take that deep breath and utilize the capacity of your lungs and filling it up and, you know, exhaling. Breast cancer people, so if you've had a, if you've had a um, reconstruction with implants, mm -hmm. your implants are placed between the pec minor and pec major. Your chest capacity to open up and breathe is now inhibited by up to 20%. Mm. So breathing becomes very different. So if you had asthma before, I had asthma before, but I was a high-functioning asthmatic because it didn't really bother me. Now I have impaired lung functioning because of the, the implants. Um, some of the 10 things you don't know before yes. you have all these things. Um, so now I have to learn, I have to do breathing exercises. I mean, I actually, when you said see yourself in a bubble, I actually felt like I was going to float away. It's yes. beautiful. So I think that... Um, Around this, the self-care, you know, we often think of self-care as being, you know, um, the woman's magazine version of self-care. Mm -hmm. There's some hairdos and some nails and things. But self-care truly is 
um, self-aware people rarely do harm in the world or in their world, right? whether it's on a small level or a big level. And if you are breathing, you're taking better care of yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're nourishing your body and your soul, you're taking better care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that self-care stuff's very, very important. Yeah. I was at the doctor's recently. Um, back in August, I had terrible allergies and I had a cold that just was not going away. And I have to commend myself. I haven't like freaked out too much thinking there was recurrence, but occasionally this cold just like was not going away. And I had my colleagues finally were like, you have to go to the doctors. Like, oh. I'm not sure if it's bronchitis or something is going on because the claritin and all the allergy medicines were not working. And so I go. And again, I think this is also another thing that the doctors don't tell you or prepare you for. So I go see my primary care. It's nothing to do with my oncological team. Like I see my regular practitioner um, explain my symptoms. And she was like, oh, okay, well, let's go just get a chest x-ray just to make sure. That, like there's no fluid because they didn't want to make they want to rule out pneumonia and make sure that there's no fluid in the lungs. So I'm like, sure, no problem. We can do a chest X-ray. Well, I get a call back the next day, and they want to bring me back because they had some concerns about the chest X-ray. And I'm like, you know, I'm I'm familiar. That's all you're waiting for, right? Yeah. Is, oh, confirmation. Absolutely. Here we go. And mm. you know, I think we are sometimes accustomed to now a mammography or other types of tests of getting the call back. But this was like allergies and cold and a chest x-ray. My mind wasn't even thinking, you know, cancer. So I started freaking out. Like, what? What was wrong? Like, what did you see? Why do we need to do this again? And, you know, I love how diligent the doctors can be. But it's still in the back of our mind. Like, can we ever just go back to the doctors and have, like, a routine checkup with routine results without having to be tested because we're high risk for so many other complications? Sure. Luckily, um... Apparently, I have so much scar tissue, the x-ray couldn't see through a lot, so they just wanted to take more images. So, you know, knock on wood, like, it wasn't too alarming, but they, they had my chart. They should have taken it more images. Very, yes, but, it would be very right. nice if somebody had said, look, she's a cancer patient. Let's, exactly. Let's reassure her when we phone her that it's mm -hmm. not a big deal, even though, you know, normally you can't say. Exactly, you know. yeah. So that was just an interesting, like, hiccup of, like, Gosh, we have so much going on, and I wanted to relate this back to the lungs sure. with this breathing exercise because they actually gave me um, one of those like blow tubes. Mm -hmm. There's like a little blue ball, and you have to yeah. inhale, and the ball goes up. Spirometer. What's it called? It's called an incentive spirometer. Okay, an incentive spirometer, and <laughs> it, they were saying that's a great exercise I should be doing because it'll open up these like little. You know, your, your alveoli that are basically collapsed or yes, have, like exactly. pressure from the surgery. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't know, so I thought that was great. And then, of course, I had radiation also, so now I'm concerned about the radiation effects on my chest and my lungs and my heart and all of this yeah. great stuff. But, you know, these breathing exercises help all of that. Sure. And so I think I don't want to diminish, like, breathing, you know, like, and doing it correctly and properly and being intentional about how you're doing it because there's so many benefits that come from, mm -hmm. come from it. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Breathing and hydrating. We like plants. Sophisticated yeah, yeah. plants. We, <laughs> <laughs> we need O2 and H2O. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Well, can I turn the questions around and hear a little bit more about your experience with breast cancer? I love having people on the show to actually talk and share a little bit about their journey and the treatments that they were on, how they found that they had 
breast cancer, um, the type of breast cancer that you found, mm -hmm. just because every day I'm always surprised how many different variations there are. And then also the choices people make right. based on, you know, we can have a very similar diagnosis, but someone may refuse chemotherapy or someone may choose a different type of reconstruction or not to have reconstruction. So I love being able to kind of paint this grandiose picture of, okay, this is all breast cancer, but it's all individualized and so personal. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So I was diagnosed from a routine mammogram. I had um, just turned 50, and I went, I was still on vacation. It was the end of the summer of 2016, and I went in for my routine mammogram. And, you know, accustomed to go in and get your mammogram, change, okay, see you later. And I think, okay, I'm going to get a little skinny envelope in the thin envelope in the mail in a, in a few days. And But this time was different. It was, um, after I was dressed, the tech asked me to undress again. Oh, boy. Uh, and asked, you know, please, we need some more images. And she was acting really strange. And I thought, oh, it must be because, it didn't, wasn't even cluing in. Uh, it was, I thought, it was, oh, she feels bad because she, she didn't take good images of me. And I thought that she was oh, yeah. embarrassed because she didn't do wow. it. You know, she's embarrassed because she didn't do a good job. So I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Very agreeable. Go get some more images. But then the radiologist came. Oh. The actual radiologist, she was on site, and she had uh, read them on site on the spot and came and talked to me. And she told me what she saw, and I was just in utter shock. Wow. It's just, amazing how in a second your life in a second. In a That's second. why going to the doctor is so scary. Yes. Because you know it's routine and you know there's nothing wrong and you just go and you know that any minute now, like a routine, your life changes. Something. Yeah. And I don't think so I knew that. It's second life. And that's when your second life starts. <laughs> that's when your second life starts. It wasn't confirmed, though, for three weeks. Oh. So oh that gosh. was an agonizing three weeks. How just, did you cope? I just worked. Talked okay. to my husband. I really kind of kept it to myself. I didn't really tell anybody. I was like, well, what the hell? Why should I get everybody else up in arms sure. and worried? And uh, so I was diagnosed by uh, core biopsy and MRI. And it was DCIS. It was early, early stage. And it was recommended that I have a lumpectomy and radiation. And okay. So I said, okay. Um, and that's how we started except when they analyzed after the lumpectomy, found out that they couldn't, they didn't get clear margins. So oh I had to have a repeat lumpectomy oh my gosh. two weeks later. And in the meantime, they had analyzed the cells oh. and found out, oh, well, this needs chemotherapy. Oh. So in, I had been preparing myself for a lumpectomy and radiation, and now all of a sudden, I've had two lumpectomies. There's not going to be radiation. There's going to be chemotherapy. And oh, by the way, we're not going to do a third lumpectomy because what's the point? There'll be nothing left. So we're going to do a mastectomy. Well, they didn't dictate it that way. I'm sure. just saying. That's, sure. That's how it I feel like you yeah. sometimes I feel like you have a choice, right? Well, it was kind of weird because initially my first thought was, give me a mastectomy. I just don't want sure. to be worrying about this. Just get rid mm -hmm. of it. I am not attached to these breasts. They're ornamental at this point. They did their job. I fed my children. I was yeah. fine with it. Mm -hmm. And my surgeon was like, well, you know, we have wonderful outcomes and it's the same. And, you know, we can have an excellent cosmesis. You don't need to go through all of that. And the recovery will be easier. And I said, okay. And then when I went back to it, I said, you know, I should stuck with my own instinct. My own mm. instinct was to just get a mastectomy from the get-go. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm glad in the end that I had the second lumpectomy, though, because 
that they analyzed and they found out they got it all. But I've heard stories of women having lumpectomy and then it comes back later because they don't, you know, maybe even maybe uh, on the analysis it shows that they've gotten it all, but they can't mm -hmm. always get it all and then years later they have it come back. So for me, mastectomy was the choice that I needed to make and I chose to do it by way of a B-class. Okay. So I, I wasn't, uh, and I single. I didn't want to do double. I okay. just thought, okay, I'll just leave well enough alone and I'm going to trust God that it's going to just stay on the one side. Um, and I had the B-flap and I do not regret that. That was a very difficult recovery. Oh, very difficult. Oh, but it's like two traumas, right? Well, you have a, I have an incision across my belly from hip to hip. Um, where they took the abdominal fat tissue and then they have to do microsurgery. They take, they dig down into your abs and take the vessels and then they bring them back up and bury them to the cut vessels from your former breast. So it's microsurgery. It took about 10 hours oh my and three surgeons. And it, it was just, just oh. for that alone. You know, imagine being under anesthesia for that. They switch your central nervous system off. That's what oh, I don't understand. Yes, right, they yeah. switch your central nervous system off, and you're supposed to be fine the next day. Well, I was not. I no, know. I think even just the anesthetic alone is, is its own trauma. Yes, completely. It took a while. How did you decide to do the deep flap versus implant? Was that ever an option or consideration? Um, I wanted deep flap, first of all. Um, I wasn't comfortable with implant. I had done, and I don't want to scare anybody, but I had, just for my own self, I didn't want something artificial um, that could potentially leak, and then I would have to maintain, and then I have to go back to the doctor every so often and maybe have to change it around. I just wanted to be one and done. Yes. I just didn't want to deal with it. And I wanted something natural, and I thought if I can't have a deep flap, I was going to go flat. Mm -hmm. If they couldn't do a deep flap, I was considering doing a double mastectomy and deep flap. Sure. I was more comfortable with that than an implant. And as it turned out, um, they deemed me indeed fat enough to have a deep flap. <laughs> Damn it. It's <laughs> like the one you don't want, right? right? So right. I was so glad. I was so glad. And then they, they have to do a CAT scan to analyze your vessels to make sure that they are sure. oriented and long enough and in the right place. Okay. Um, so... You have to be fat enough, you have to be healthy enough, and you have to have the right constitution of vessels. Sure. And fit the bill. So that's what yeah. I chose to do. But it was months and months of recovery. And I remember going back to work after four months, and my abdominal muscles would oh. cramp oh. involuntarily. I would just be sitting still or standing oh. still, and they would cramp. Oh, my gosh. And it was like Charlie horse in your belly. And oh. the doctors didn't know what to do about that. So I thank my PT colleagues because they said, let's do some deep tissue work. Oh, um, And amazing. they did some deep tissue work and then I used kinesio tape, if you've ever yes. heard of that. Mm -hmm. And I wore kinesio tape, a strip on each side Fantastic. for two weeks straight. I just kept changing it every yeah. four days and it got rid of the cramps. It was like oh, miraculous. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And I just want to tell all the doctors, look, if someone comes and says they have stomach cramps, you know, their yes. muscles are just kind of firing. Oh, this can you need to write a helped. blog for us? Like, would you please? Like, I would yeah. be happy to have yeah. that and yeah, because I'm suggestion. Absolutely, yeah. have it on like, your blog and everything yeah, too. Yeah. I mean, this is information where, like, I think uh, us women, right? Like, we all yes have breast cancer, but we all have these like amazing professional lives mm -hmm. that we could really come together and just like be this 
huge wealth of resources and information and educate the doctors and educate people who are going through this and have these symptoms. So I would love to have something on our website if you're willing to share, like, this is what I recommend and, you know, this worked for me because, yeah, what works for one person may not work for the other, but some person might be gravitating and and need that. So I would love that. Exactly. It's so simple. I mean, you could be taught to do it to yourself. Some people don't have the the constitution to do that. So, like, you might not want to do it. Um, but the kinesio tape is easy to do to sure. yourself. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's, and, and if you get someone who shows you once, right? Maybe you could do a little video. Do a little video. I've oh, done yeah. that actually for other things. But yeah, I could do a video. Oh, super fun! Yes, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like fun. Good all these awesome. ideas are coming up with. So, you know, going back to your point about um, that choice of do I get a mastectomy or a lumpectomy? That is something that I think weighs on everyone's minds mm-hmm. if they have a choice, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. again, depending on the cancer or how you know, if it's like splatter pain against the wall or if it's just one small tumor, that'll also play a role into the decisions and eligibility for these different types of treatment options. So I was in the same boat where I was eligible for a lumpectomy and I was happy about that. My doctors were quite confident that I was a good candidate for that. And poor William, I think every other night we're sitting on the couch and I'm like, you know, Googling everything, reading everything, and just figuring out, like, one day maybe it's a mastectomy, one day it's going flat, one day it's the lumpectomy, and, you know, it really just depended on the day and how either happy or angry I was with all the hormones that you're going through and the changes, and I ended up going with the lumpectomy, and I wouldn't even say taking a chance, because I know exactly what you mentioned, like, okay, well, if I do leave some tissue, will it come back? But after having a lot of conversations, feeling quite confident with my medical team, that the combination of the lumpectomy plus the radiation was as effective as if I were to get a full vasectomy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know that there's still a lot of research out there that are trying to like compel like where we are right now with technology and treatment options. So, you know, I think there's, it can be argued anyway, right? But at the end of the day, when you can look in the mirror and feel very confident about your decision, you know you made the right decision. And I think that's the most important piece. And, and when we chat with caregivers and we give speeches around the country with regards to the, the, the role of the caregiver, and certainly to be as supportive as possible, but that the final decision is the patient, not you. Yeah. Now, a lot, of, a lot of women have an issue with that. I guess we'll have to raise that down in Baltimore. But a lot of women have issues um, some women don't even tell their husbands they have breast cancer, and, sure. and they go through this, and then um, they're afraid that their husbands will, or spouses will no longer provide or care for them because of the disfigurement sure. or whatever, and it's a horrible thing. But it, mentally, think about how horrible that is to have to keep that in. So it's a very lonely disease. It is. Every decision you make ultimately is nobody else's. Right. Your doctor can influence you, your your caregiver, your spouse, somebody can help you with decisions and things, but ultimately you make that decision. Mm-hmm. Like you say, you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and go, actually I think I made the right decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was so scared to look like when I woke up the next morning from surgery, like, you know, did I want to peek and see what happened? Did I not want to peek under the gauze? Um, I had three different drains also, two for each, or one for each side plus one for um, the full node dissection that I had. And I just, I'm a very squeamish person, but I just remember like needing to be brave. And like the first time I had to like drain the tubes and 
measure the blood and all of this like science project stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, William was there, my mom was in town, and my mom was like, do you want me to come in the bathroom with you? And I'm like, no, I, I need to do this by myself. I need to, you know, confront whatever is under this mm-hmm. slowly and kind of see, like, I, I can just remember that experience, like those emotions and that like peeling off of the surgical bras and taking a look. And then also the positive side that I had these dreams literally hanging out Mm -hmm. and I was like, but they don't hurt. Right. Like I think my mind was getting so nervous that I'm like, nope, it goes into my side and Mm -hmm. it's gross, but I'm okay. So I'm like, I'm okay. I can do this. Check the other one. You're like, okay. And really just coming to terms with like, we're going to be fine. Right. This is, it's new to us. We've never done this before. Doctors do it all the time. And, you know, we've got to clean it, make sure we don't get infections, but like, we're going to be fine. And I think that was really empowering for me and to do this lonely journey by myself to, yeah. you know, come to terms with it when I was ready to slowly peel off the surgical bra. Yeah. yeah. It is a lonely disease. Now, I didn't, I personally didn't even occur to me to try and reach out to speak with other women when I was in the thick of it. Really? Didn't even... I didn't know about the resources that were available. Oh. I just didn't know. I thought I was just gonna, you know, I had, well, I was lucky I had my husband and my, my children and I had four sisters and two brothers and I had a lot of family support. Yeah. So I was very supportive, but it wasn't until later that I discovered all the social groups and the online groups and and I was like, wow, where was I? You know, I just, but I guess I have to think they're there. I just wasn't ready for it. Oh, absolutely. So and also, you don't want 50 million opinions on what right. you should be doing. Yes. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. The, the three that you did have, you <laughs> enough to filter down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, so. And one more question I have for you, too, Laura, is so you mentioned, I don't know if you know, like, the science or more information about this, but you mentioned after they did the surgery and study your pathology of your tumor, it was decided then at that point that you did need chemotherapy. Yeah. Do you know what it was or the characteristics of the tumor that now I do not change? know. Okay. I do not know. That's a great question and I've never known the answer to that. Because okay. I, I never asked it and I'm like science based person. You're amazing but you trust me. I yeah, yeah, I was I was able to just like go <laughs> just didn't sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I can probably find out, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because I know too some people are eligible for like that this Oncotype DX right. test where and I don't know the science behind it either. I was not eligible for this test because my cancer spread into my lymph nodes. So the moment that it spread it yeah. spread into my lymph nodes, I needed chemotherapy. That was like a no-brainer. Yeah. But for some people, if it's an early stage type of cancer and your tumor is a certain size and does not have um, has not advanced into the lymph nodes, there's this Oncotype DX test that people can do and. I'm actually working on a blog for this, so I'm doing like a little bit of research on this type of test. So it's anywhere, there's a scale between, I'm assuming it starts at zero, I'm not really sure the first number, but like zero to 30 or zero to 35, there's some sort of range. And whatever, when they test your tumor, if you come back, I want to say below 20, there's some number. Again, who's ever listening to this, please take this with um, a grain of salt right now because I don't have all of the facts. But there is a number that if you're below a certain number, you do not need chemotherapy. And then if you're either in this gray area or above, right. um, they recommend chemotherapy because 
that inflammation increases the likelihood of the cancer coming back. And so I think there's some sort of like oncotype score. I had that screen. You did? Yeah, but I don't remember the the numbers. And mine was well within the range that said I didn't need it. Yes. It's part of the reason um, it's all coming back to me now that they said I I was a candidate for chemotherapy is because it had micro-invasion. There was invasion. Oh. It wasn't in, I didn't it have just it, a tumor. It, yeah. it was like you said before, yes. the, the pink splatter on the wall. Yes. yes. That's what I had, multiple teeny weeny things all mm-hmm. over the place, and yeah, they couldn't sure be sure. Yeah. So that was why it was recommended. And I I took it as an insurance policy. Absolutely. I said, I'm going to take so. it because I have two children to raise. So. 100%. And I don't think anybody's take, decision here was no yeah. was no risk. <laughs> right. Or, you know, or sort of saying, let's just be conservative. Right? Yeah, we were like as aggressive as possible. I'm different from both of you. When I've worked, I've worked in the breast cancer charity community for 20 years. Yes. And my mother, when she was diagnosed, I got her in with everybody that I knew that could help her. When I was diagnosed, it was straight, I was, there was no negotiation. It was, what is the maximum that I can do? Mm. My kids were 10 and 11, and I, I know, I just know that there are enough people that I've known over 20 years who have had it come back from treating conservatively or, you know, like just enough for me to go 10 years from now, if it comes back, I want to be able to say, okay, so I threw everything at this. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do now? Rather than me being sitting and going, oh, I wish I'd done something different. I made a very bold decision and that was, but my mom had had it. I don't have any genetic um, disposition. Predispositions to it. I don't have BRCA. Mm-hmm. Um, she's estrogen positive. Mine's estrogen positive. Um, I just decided it was me. Yeah. And and I have implants. I call these the 2.0s. The 2.0s have well, version 2.0. They have way more fun than the 1.0s. They wear bikinis. Oh yeah. They just you know that. yeah because and that's one of the things that it cues into. You say, you know, you, your, your passions and who you are. I reframe everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about your, this is just another sort of version of your breasts, right? Mm-hmm. That was me. That was why they became the 2.0s. You know, they've been every size possible as I've been every size possible. Sure. When I had babies, they were, you know, interesting. Breastfeeding, I felt like having an the room. There was a whole, <laughs> you know, there's, so you, the relationship I had with them was, okay, mm-hmm. they're going to be different. I mean, yeah, they don't feel the same. They're not, you know, as sensitive, I guess. Sure. But you build stuff into it. You build your world around the fact that, okay, mm-hmm. it's just going to be a little bit different. And there's such a positive attitude about that, which I think is so inspiring to hear yeah. because it's so easy to kind of want to fall back to, like, the pre-cancer you sure. and do all of these comparisons. and. Like, I love the fact that you're embracing them and like, oh, and they wear bikinis. Like, it's not I wear bikinis, but they have bikinis. And they're so personified. You wrote an excellent blog that we were able to share on our uh, newsletter and on our website as well. So for anyone listening, you should check out our survivor stories at survivingbreastcancer.org. And Andrea has her whole experience with breast cancer written there, too. And it's it's a fun read because it's this lighthearted Life goes on, and and everybody's different. When my yes. mom went through breast cancer, like was like your first three weeks was my mom's whole treatment. Mm. No one was allowed to know. Mm. Not a soul was allowed to know. Not when she had it first, and not when it returned. 
So everybody's different. Right. You have to respect that. You have to know, you know, we're not going to be broadcasting this human being. And that's why I think also, because I've been in that community for so long and I've known so many people, I don't see, you know, it's not, it's not that thing like, um, uh, why me? It was, oh, well, of course it's me, right? It's all these beautiful people. Why wouldn't it be someone like me? And teach people and show people as much as you can. That's how I want to do this. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that's going to be everybody else's. Some people right. might want to retreat into that and go, mm-hmm. let me deal with it. I'm bruised. You know? Absolutely. One of the things I did, even though I wasn't connecting with other women, I was blogging about it. Oh. I blogged through the entire chemotherapy experience and then up until the, the deep flap surgery. And I was getting, I was just oh. sharing it with friends and family. It wasn't yeah. like a big public yeah, blog or anything. But... A few of my lady friends and family shared that with other women that they worked with and who were experiencing breast cancer. Or then they started calling me. Can can so and so call you? She just got Charles. diagnosed. And Absolutely. I was like, wow. So it was. I still have it. It's kind of like I don't advertise it, but it's there for someone who may want to look at it if they. Yes. It's a lot at once, but yes. I recommend that to people too. If if you write and mm-hmm. you can process a lot of it by writing. Even if you don't think you're a writing, even if you don't think you're a writer, you can write. Absolutely. Even if it's just think of it as just for yourself and just get it out. And journal or draw. Journal. Journaling is really good. We've had discussions with authors who use that as therapy for Um, cancer treatment. um, And it does make a lot of sense. So um, do you want to give Laura your your link so that, (laughs) or do we have it already? For the, um, for the blog. For the blog, it's just been parked there for a couple of years. Sure. It's uh, still not proposed. Yeah, it was before I was coach. It was. Uh, it's called. Um, I don't remember now. Laura's Landing Place. One word. Laura's Landing Place. Dot blogspot. Dot com. Excellent. Yep. I can definitely link to Thank that at the in the show in the show notes as well, sure. so people can find all of your resources, your blogs, your coaching businesses, how they can contact you, and all of that. One of the nice, I, I ran a half marathon. I mean, you running like full marathons because oh, you're know. more insane than me. The chemo made me do it. That's just like what I say. Is that what it's. <laughs> okay, well, the 2.0s don't want to run a, a, a marathon. The 2.0s ran two half marathons, they're doing well. Yes. And I ran one. And one of the nicest things I did was I, I, I knew how long I was going to be running for. And I, and I had a headset because I didn't run with people. I don't know crazy people. In, well, that kind of crazy. Right. So I ran on my own. And halfway through my playlist, when you know you're going to have struggled maybe just a little, I set up and cued all the female musicians mm. who have had breast cancer. And, how, and, and that was such a motivational thing to hear these brilliant women wow. from different genres, I mean, different types of music, mm. singing in my ear and kind of going, you, you know, come on, we'll, yeah, we'll be with idea. you while, we, while you do all of this. So there are so many different ways of, Pushing through something or getting mm-hmm. to do something, and yeah. listening to other women and hearing their stories or hearing, even just hearing how they've survived it. You know, like mm-hmm. most of these musicians sang these songs after they were treated. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm. I'm not just laying down. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of great perspective that comes when you're on the other side. That, you know, it's up to us to share that sure. for people sure. who are coming through. Yeah. Well, I think you make you're making it a lot easier for the women who are following you 
because the sharing of the story and the experience can be incredibly inspirational for someone who is just feeling all of that agita as, oh. as they uh, matriculate into the, the process. So I think it's incredible. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it, it gives me the most amount of pleasure. And we know 60,000 breast cancer survivors, and it's, uh, it's an incredible feeling to capture their story and put it out there. And out of all of our blogs and podcasts and survivor story requests, only one person has said no, that they mm -hmm. didn't want to share it. And I said, that's yours. That's okay. We are a low-stress operation. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to impact you in a negative way. So Absolutely. So thank you. We're here for thank when you. people want to be here and so. we'll always be here. And when it's their time and they feel comfortable and they want to, we'll be here for them. So. Yeah. Like what you said, and I think what it comes from your own experience, because you didn't feel like there was anybody on that side of it. So in your coaching, you're coaching people that are the sort of when the when the, when you say the decathlon was the, the fifty-two pickup. So so that's also when you picked it up. That's when you realized, oh, there's a community and there's people that can help me. And so it's very good that you're actually doing this, mirroring it, because it's you. So how are you guys doing now? Like you're smiling, you have your coaching businesses, like I'm still in the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm good breathing exercise, like we're ready to like get over the hump of the week. Yeah. So. Loving life. I um I'm blessed. I just was offered and accepted a coaching position with Health Coach Institute. So I'm now actually oh my coaching students who are becoming health coaches. Congratulations. <laughs> so that's exciting for me as well as, you know, developing my own. Yes. It's a lovely blend of what you've been your whole life, right? Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And how can our listeners find your coaching? I am at Laura. Oh, what is it? Wait a minute. <laughs> Headcoachlaura.com. Okay. One word, head coach, Laura, H-E-A-D. And that stands for health, energy, and direction. So I got my little hat on. Yeah, I love your hat. I wanted to yes. ask you because I thought head coach. Yeah. I knew there was going to be something. Excellent. Oh. <laughs> I just got it. Laura's going to be cross with me because I still don't have a website. Oh, you need a developer. Okay. I need a developer. <laughs> yeah, because I do website design, I think, as I we mentioned. I know. And so we're go we're going to – that's why I need you. So, <laughs> we'll right? talk. Absolutely. We'll talk. But um, – I think, I don't know if my contact details are on your site. They um, are. My telephone yes. number, my email address and things. Exactly. So um, on our website, we have a coaching page. And yeah. um, it needs a little bit of updating, but absolutely. So anyone who's going to survivingbreastcancer.org, under resources, yeah. we have a list of coaches. Yeah. And, and just send yeah. me an email and we can have a phone conversation around where you are and what it is that you think you, you where you want to be. Exactly. Right. I need to figure that out, don't we all? <laughs> but yeah, so I'm just discovering also like secret hidden talents that now that I'm launching this nonprofit, getting experience with like website design, building out our blogs, building out all of the search engine optimization to really like put everything. Can I just say this? You are like dying Oh, I am. The so second life makes my second life look silly. I can't believe how much you have done. You're all awesome. Because oh, you and I were on similar paths, timing wise. Yes. And I, I just look at how far you've come oh, and what yeah. you've done and how much great you're doing in the world and how many women you have impacted Thank and you. continue to impact. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. Thank I, you. I've got to stop you there. I hear, as her caregiver, I hear it an awful lot. I'm not. I'm not doing enough. I'm just not impacting enough people. I said, 
Oh, yes, oh. you are. Wow. And so we get, we get a lot of feedback from folks, and especially when we're live with people or uh, we're meeting, doing a meet and greet or whatever. And, and that reinforcement is humongous for her. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it literally is like using this morning as an example. Like, I'm excited to jump out of bed at like 4 o'clock in the morning and like do the emails and follow up with people and work on a newsletter or do a little bit of editing on the podcast before going to work. So it's when you feel that passionate about something, it's it just brings you joy. And yeah, so that's, it brings you joy and it drives you. Completely. Completely. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's a gift to be able to find that in life, that you feel so passionate about that, mm -hmm. that you don't even have to think about it. It's like, yep, up, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. You feel aligned and... At the same time, you're helping so many people. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun. I thank you both so much for really taking the time out of your busy schedules to share your stories about breast cancer, your experiences as coaches, walking us through breathing and meditation exercises, and what just great value that our listeners can experience from this. So thank you both for taking the time to speak with us on Breast Cancer Conversations. It's been my pleasure. Yes. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.